0: Welcome to Hey YA Extra Credit. Every other week, opposite the main Hey YA podcast, we'll bring you a short-form podcast, either as a book club discussion with a beloved YA author or a look at excellent backlist YA books for your TBR. I'm Tears of Price, and today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, it's going to be about two books that I really loved as a teen and recently reread because I was curious to see if they would hold up to an adult, modern, you know, 20 years later type of reading. And then I'm going to give you some contemporary recommendations to go along with these books that I really loved as well. But first, let's hear from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders, the digital bookish resource and hangout spot for readers. Enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to insiders, short story, novel, and the epic level, and you can try any level out for free for two weeks. For podcast lovers meeting you, insiders at the novel and epic level get access to two exclusive shows – the Read Harder podcast, which I co-host, and gives you recommendations for the Read Harder challenge task by task, and Book Riot Remixed, where we randomly pair up hosts from across our shows to talk about, well, whatever they want. Insiders also get exclusive access to bookish deals, behind-the-scenes newsletters, our new release index, the Epic Book Club, and more. Sign up for your free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. All right, so earlier this summer, I reread two books that I had not revisited since I was a teen, but these were books that I really, really loved when I was of the YA age. So they were fairly popular YA titles at the time. One even snagged a Prince Honor. Um, They were released in 1999 and 2002, respectively. And I have very distinct memories of picking them up, probably like in late middle school. So these were among the first books that I read when I made my first foray into YA. And I really wanted to reread them to see if they stood up to the test of time and to also try and identify what was it about these books that made them stick out in my mind as great YA reads and like what made me, you know, remember them all these years later and perhaps maybe try to identify why they might still resonate with readers today because both are still in print. So spoiler alert, friends. They did not stand up (laughs) to the test of time for me. And I will tell you my thoughts. um, And I'm also going to talk about a few new YA books that I recommend alongside or instead of these books. Um, I'll leave that up to you. And I do want to sort of start this by saying that I don't mean to drag these books or their authors in any way. I do think it's interesting to see how YA has evolved over time, and to look at what used to be popular. How our views have changed on certain subjects and topics, how that has shifted. I mean, I'm not saying that anyone shouldn't read these books or they shouldn't be on shelves, but I do think that, you know, those of us who are invested in YA, as I am, who have maybe been around for a little bit longer than a teen reader and like to recommend books that, you know, we, we loved as teens because You know, we have read widely and we've read across many years. Like, I think we do have this duty to check in every now and then just to ensure that our memories of the content hold up and to make sure that they are. You know, still the best recommendation if we are in a position to like recommend these books or to, you know, stock them on our shelves or put them in libraries. Like, you know, it's just important to make sure that they're still relevant for today's today's teens and, um, you know, to check in and make sure that there's not something that we've missed. So without further ado, here we go. The first book I want to talk about is Gingerbread by Rachel Cohn. And oh my gosh, I really love this book as a teen. I can still picture the library copy that I remember checking out. So it's about a teenage girl named Sid Charisse. <laughs> like, yes, that is her full name. And she has just been expelled from her fancy boarding school. Um, and she's now back home in San Francisco. She lives with her mom, her stepfather, her two younger uh, half-siblings. Her stepfather is very, very, very wealthy. Um, But now that she's back in San Francisco, it's summer, she's just kind of like hanging out, arguing with her parents all the time. But she has a new boyfriend named Shrimp, and she is pretty head over heels in love with him. But she's also kind of lost, a bit spoiled, And she has these like flashes of naivete that are interspersed with like this deeper wisdom that comes from having lived through some tough experiences. So you find out fairly early on in the book that she became pregnant while at boarding school and her horrible boyfriend pretty much just ditched her. So she had to go to her estranged biological father to ask for money for an abortion and and do that on her own, which is, you know, not an easy thing for a 16 year old. So her mom is pretty overbearing. And the main reason why she went to her biological father is because she didn't want her mom to know. So as tensions rise at home, Citrice finally succeeds in ticking off her mother so much that she is sent to New York City for about six weeks to spend time with her biological father, whom she hasn't seen since she was five years old. And at the same time, her boyfriend Shrimp breaks up with her. So she is feeling all sorts of feelings. Sid Charisse is also born as a result of an affair that her father had with her mother. And so her biological dad isn't really willing to acknowledge her publicly as his kid. Like he's willing to, you know, send her money and he hosts her in New York City, but he tries to pass her off as as his niece or his goddaughter. And that's really hurtful to Cedrice. But Cedrice also meets her half-brother and sister, and through this process of meeting these people that she's always known about and wondered about, she starts to get a clearer sense of herself and, you know, the experiences that she went through with her own abortion. And it even kind of gives her a better understanding of her mother. So this definitely feels like a very 2000s, like early 2000s era book in a lot of ways, mainly in that it's super short, super heavy on character, light on plot. But you know, Citrice just has this really great, really memorable voice. And... She strikes the adult reader in me as extremely privileged and very ignorant of that privilege, despite multiple characters telling her that she's spoiled. But you know, I don't remember perceiving her that way when I first read this book, probably like around 2004. She's got a very charming voice and she's probably one of like the original, like, I'm not like other girl YA characters, um, just because she very much hits at home that she's she's not like other girls. I do recall feeling mildly scandalized about her her secret abortion subplot when I first read this book, and I'm glad that reproductive rights seem to be less of a taboo subject in YA now. Although um, I would not go so far as to say that like it, this isn't like a big deal. So. The thing that makes me hesitate to recommend this book to a teen now is not any one big thing or or problematic element, but just like a lot of little things in the narrative that kind of made me cringe a little bit. And I think are probably, you know, as sad as this is to say, indicative of like what was considered acceptable of the time. So Sid Cherise has a lot of daydreams about running away. And in those daydreams, she really appropriates a lot of other cultures in such a way that really feels tone deaf in 2021 and made me cringe a lot. I was rather torn about it because when I first read it, you know, Sid Charisse is very fanciful. She's somewhat ignorant. She's a naive character. But my issue was that her cultural appropriation fantasies are never challenged in any way. So I'm afraid that some readers like my own teen self wouldn't pick up on like how, hey, this isn't really cool and and this could be harmful. And like that in turn can do some damage to real people from the cultures that Sid Sharice is appropriating. Uh, The other thing that made me cringe, which I feel like is probably, you know, just a really sad reflection on um, how bad things were for teenage girls in the early 2000s which is that there's a lot of body image stuff and a lot of body issue stuff. So, you know, some, like, trigger warnings for some mild but no less harmful, like, body issues in eating, disordered eating. So, Sid Charisse's mom has her own body image issues, and she definitely seems intent on passing them on to her daughters. Um, Sid Charisse does kind of try and challenge some of the remarks, particularly when her mom says that her five-year-old little sister needs to go on a diet. But I do feel like a lot of it was kind of passed off as a joke and it's really not that funny. So that was my, my biggest complaints about Gingerbread, but I definitely felt very nostalgic rereading this one. So the second book that I reread, I was really excited to reread this one because it was probably one of my favorite books in middle school. And I probably reread it multiple times throughout middle school and into high school, but I haven't visited it in probably 12 or 15 years. And that is Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging by Louise Renison. So these books were so popular. I remember, like, it came out in 1999. It had nine sequels. There were ten books in total. It was one of the most popular epistolary teen novels of that time. It came out around the time that the Princess Diaries came out. So that's kind of like the context of its popularity. You know, it won awards. It was a bestseller. I don't think that would be the case if this book came out now. You know, when I think back about this book, I think of it as like this really hilarious, mildly scandalous, because it was super frank about like dating and romance and, and all of that stuff. And in fact, this is kind of a funny anecdote, but I remember buying a copy of this book at the Barnes & Noble in the mall that I went to with my best friend. We were in middle school. We live far away from a mall. So this was like a big deal that we went to the mall one time and and I bought a copy of it with my own money. And then we're driving home. It's like, you know, hours to home. And we're in the very back seat of my friend's car and we're giggling and just laughing over this book. And I remember my friend's mom confiscated it because we were giggling so much. And then when she looked at it, she really didn't like it. And she gave it directly to my mom when we got home because she thought it was very inappropriate. And I remember my mom just kind of looking at it and being like, it looks silly, but it doesn't look inappropriate. And she handed it back to me. But I guess that's the risk you ran in 1999 when you put thongs and full frontal snogging in a title. Anywho, this book is about Georgia Nicholson. She's a 14 year old girl. And she journals about her wild and zany life, her cat who is probably like part wildcat, her crushes and misadventures with like body hair, makeup, fashion, friends, dating, it's very peak to 14 year old girl. Um, you know, her parents mortify her. She's desperately trying to figure out how to be perceived as older and more mature and awesome. And but like at the same time, she's got these like traces of like childlike humor um, that are still coming through that remind you that she's 14, but she so desperately wants to be taken seriously as an adult. And I remember thinking it was such silly fun and reading and laughing my head off. And I read all of the books in the series. There's not much plot. It's more like slice of life. This is what happened, you know, these six months during school. But that was also much more common of early 2000s YA. It was, in fact, made into a movie. And fun fact, the girl who played Georgia is now married to Rupert Grint. And the actress who played her best friend Jasmine is Eleanor Tomlinson, who plays DeMilson Poldark and voices a few audiobooks. So that is my random 2000s YA trivia of the day. Anyway, I... Reread this book, and I was really shocked by what I found because I found it was pretty homophobic. Not in an overtly cruel or discriminatory way, but Georgia and her friends make constant jokes or comments that are cruel about lesbianism. I mean, Georgia wants a boyfriend in the worst of ways, and when she isn't successful, she constantly laments that she hopes she's not a lesbian. There's, you know, the stereotypical female gym teacher that everyone proclaims must be a lesbian and lots of like, ew, she's a lesbian or gross. I hope she's not watching me or I hope she doesn't come into the locker room sort of comments. And there's some cruel comments about some classmates that um, they suspect of being queer as well. So like, look, I lived through the 90s and 2000s. (laughs) I know how common these sentiments were in popular culture. Like the 90s were a big time where LGBTQ issues and just representation became more mainstream. And that came with, like, a lot of jokes and, and a lot of, like, you know, what people thought was kind of an acceptable way of talking about queer people. And I also know how damaging that can be to teens. You know, I know that from firsthand experience. So, you know, at this stage, because I didn't reread all 10 books, I don't remember if Georgia comes around (laughs) towards queer people. But like those so called jokes and comments and the just the relentless nature of like, lesbianism being presented as like the worst possible thing that could ever happen to her. That was enough to make me decide that this book needs to live (laughs) as a relic in my memory. Nothing more. So I don't want to sound too harsh. I know that a lot of people read these books over the years. A lot of people really loved them. You know, if that's the case, that's totally fine. I don't mean to shame anybody. But like I said, it's always good to check in and know when we can do better. So on that note of doing better, if you have read those books, or maybe somebody has recommended them to you, I have two other books I would like to recommend instead. And you know, if you like these, you probably probably like these newer books even better. So the first one up is Perfectly Parveen by Olivia Aptahi. And this book, I read it and I thought like, oh my gosh, this feels like a contemporary Georgia Nicholson in that Parveen is this 14 year old girl who is super excited at the end of her summer before high school to land a boyfriend. And it's the boy that she's been flirting with and pulling pranks with all summer long at their beachside vacation. And they have the last day of vacation get together. And so then she shows up to high school orientation and he dumps her. And it's horrible because one of the reasons why he dumps her is that he tells her that she's too loud and she's too much. And Parveen is like, what? So she decides to show him she is going to get a boyfriend by homecoming. And she's got two best friends who are really great and supportive. And they're like, okay, if you say so. But she decides that in order to get this boyfriend, she's going to not be too loud and not be too much. And they, you know, to their credit, tell her off the bat, like, this is a terrible idea. But Parveen is determined. So she identifies some potential love interests and she goes about, you know, just trying to land a homecoming date. At the same time, she is dealing with some, you know, pretty heavy, like, family stuff. Like, her father is from Iran and her mom is white. And she has an aunt in Tehran who wants to come visit. But can't come visit because of some pretty horrible, um, you know, rules and legislation put in place by a former president saying that certain people from certain countries can't travel to the US for very, um, you know, discriminatory and xenophobic reasons. So that's kind of like the levity to this very funny and upbeat book about Parveen just trying to figure out what it means to be a young woman how she balances friends with her desire for romance, and how she learns that, like, you know, the type of person that you think you want is not necessarily the person that is is the best matched and best suited to you and your personality. And I really love that. Um, you know, that's definitely something that Georgia Nicholson has to learn throughout her 10 book saga. But you get that a lot more succinctly. And in my opinion, it's just as witty, if not more so, and it's way more inclusive. So, Perfectly Parveen by Olivia Abtahi. My next recommendation, I feel like I've recommended this um, on the show before, but is Gabby, A Girl in Pieces by Isabel Quintero. And I love this book. It's also an epistolary novel, but the reason I chose it was because it has a very distinct voice. Gabby is um, this high schooler who is going through a lot. Um, one of her best friends has come out as gay. One of her best friends has just found out that she's pregnant. She's dealing with um, a super complicated home life. Involving her father um, struggling with addiction. And she is also figuring out, like, what it means to date and find love for the first time. And so it's this really beautiful epistolary novel that takes place over the course of a school year. And it's so confident, even when, you know, Gabby struggles with some self-confidence and some image issues. She is, you know, pretty firm in who she is and what she wants most of the time. And even when she's not certain about the details, like, the essence of her character really seems to remain true. And she goes through a lot of changes and, and a lot of transformations in how she views her family and how she views, views her friends and her community. And, you know, she's got this great complicated relationship with her mother. Her mother doesn't want her to, you know, make some mistakes that tend that she made and that, you know, tend to be repeated in their community. And that puts a lot of pressure on Gabby. Gabby's also a poet and she's learning how to really own her voice and own who she is. So I think that would actually be a really great, more contemporary read-alike to Gingerbread. Um, Not so much about, you know, content, but because of some themes and some relationships that we see in both books that kind of mirror each other. So those are my two contemporary reads. I hope that you will pick up those books because they're very excellent, regardless of whether or not, you know, you are familiar with the two older books I discussed. Thank you so much to today's sponsor for making the show possible. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Price. That's um, T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. Thank you so much to Jen Zink, our audio editor, for making Hayway sound so great. We will see you again next week for the main podcast, but until then, happy reading.